Welcome to my podcast, Patient First. I'm Dr. Naveen Samaya. I'm an Australian registered specialist plastic surgeon with 17 years of surgical experience. As the scientific convener of the Non-Surgical Symposium and a former president of the Australasian Society of Aesthetic Plastic Surgeons, my goal is to help patients navigate the complex world of both surgical and non-surgical aesthetics, but by understanding what is evidence and what is not. This, I hope, is going to help them realize their aesthetic goals safely and in a manner consistent with good clinical practice. This podcast is an extension of that legacy. My aim is to empower you to make the most educated decisions about your choices concerning your face and body aesthetics and your safety. Each episode, I will be bringing to you cutting-edge science and exploring surgical procedures in a modern, evidence-based approach to aesthetics. Plus, I will be inviting some esteemed guests in my podcast in the future to offer new perspectives. Tune in each week as together we explore the next frontier of surgical and non-surgical aesthetics. Welcome back to the podcast, Patient First. I am Dr. Naveen Samaya, your host. I'm an Australian registered specialist plastic surgeon. I'm dedicated to empowering individuals with knowledge that they need to make informed decisions. In this episode, I'm exploring the science behind skin care and the scientific rationale of care of the skin and some non-invasive treatments that actually offer good results. My goal with this episode is to share some of the science behind skincare products and treatments that often get lost among marketing buzzwords and marketing trends. You will come away with a better understanding of how to work with experts to achieve healthy skin, maintain healthy skin, and limit ongoing skin damage. In the interest of full disclosure, mandated by the Australian health regulators, my name is Dr. Naveen Samaya. I'm a registered medical practitioner and a registered specialist plastic surgeon. My specialty registration is in surgery and my field of specialty practice is plastic surgery. My APRA registration is MED 0011198989. I wish to advise listeners that information in this podcast is of a very general nature and does not constitute formal medical advice. Any surgical or invasive procedure does carry risks, and it is advisable that you seek a second opinion from a properly qualified health practitioner. Surgical outcomes do vary from person to person, and those outcomes experienced by one may not reflect other people's experience. With that introduction behind us, this topic is a good one, a big one, so let's dive right in. Skin care complements plastic surgery and it enhances the ongoing results of plastic surgery because it simply addresses the deteriorating skin condition and helps to maintain that at a much better level, say if you didn't look after your skin. And this, I came to realize this very early on because when I did my advanced fellowship training in the United States, every single consultation with the surgeons I was with, uh, they usually referred the patient on to a skincare consultant at the time of the consultation to see what complementary recommendations are necessary, in some cases mandatory, and what 
complementary skin treatments would be necessary to maintain the outcome. So when the patient left the clinic, the patient was fully aware, in part with the information that, yes, I understand the role of surgery. At the same time, I also understand the limitations of surgery. And I know that to, in order to maintain the results, I need to be committing to an ongoing skincare program. And that's what spiked my uh, interest. And ever since I started my practice, after coming back to Sydney, I have focused on advising patients in a manner that is consistent with scientific best practice with regards to care of skin and maintaining results of the plastic surgical operations that we do. I think we've seen a lot of science advance the care of skin and scientific research and R&D advance skin care. Now, what we've seen is not a huge deal if you look at it from a point of view of numbers, but it is all to do with the precision, with the performance of these ingredients, both in terms of better concentration, better methods of delivery, better methods of encapsulation, and sophisticated formulations and a better understanding of skin to avoid irritation. In other words, to make it user-friendly and effective and give you the results you're after. Because previously, skincare was plagued with irritation, intolerance, and as a result, patients would just stop using the products. But now you have a much more safety profile, much more user-friendly profile, and as a consequence, the uptake of good quality skincare is consistent. Patient can expect to see good results after consistent use. The skincare products, although they may be made by the same company, some are prescription grade, in other words, uh, doctor's only product, and some are consumer grade products that you can get in the major supermarket chains or shopping malls. Now, the big difference between these two products is the concentration of the active ingredient that actually gets you the results you're after. Say, for example, if it is a vitamin A concentration, you may have the same formulation, but a higher concentration with a better penetration, more precise delivery, and as a result, the user friendliness, effectiveness, and results are better with a prescription-grade skincare, which often gets sold through specialist practices and doctor clinics and uh, clinical establishments as opposed to uh, a consumer establishment. And this has been a good logical value add to the patient because every single patient who comes and has a consultation with me invariably end up asking, what should I use? Is this skincare good? Is this brand good? We take it away from the brand and say, let's look at the signs. Let's look at the ingredients. What does the skin need? And then we start the discussion from there. The benefit of being in practice for a bit longer is you have the benefit of hindsight as well as access to best industry practice as well as the scientific research. So over the years, we've managed to learn from everything and I have incorporated a very streamlined care of skin delivery within my practice and the advice I give patients. So it's a bit like if you look at your average lifespan and let, let me start from the age of 20 to the say age of 75 or 80, your skin, depending on your life, your lifestyle, your habits, where you live, how much of sun exposure you have will change. So at the age of 20, you have to have an age-appropriate treatment. So I think to start off with the teenage or early 20s, the biggest bang for your buck will be from the understanding the impact of sun protection, the understanding the impact of a healthy, nutritious diet that ultimately translates to good skin health. There is no point of trying to ignore those two aspects of excessive sun damage or cigarette smoking 
or bad diet and focus on creams, serums, and other things to undo the damage. That will not work. So we recommend starting from a very solid foundation first, and then you layer on as you feel you need them or as your age appropriate. Say, for example, at 20, if you come and say, I need creams and serums and not sun care, then I think we would advise you differently. At 45, if you expect to not consider using cosmeceutical grade skincare and focus on just sunblock and regular moisturizer to and expect to see results, then we would say that expectation is not aligned with the reality of how the skin is going. So I think we have a duty of care to patients based on the knowledge that we have to advise appropriately based on your skin type, your skin condition, your life, your lifestyle, and integrate all the knowledge that we have into a product that is not just patient-friendly, but patient-centric. Skincare, just like any other aesthetic intervention, must have a patient-first approach. And as a plastic surgeon, that is the approach that I use in my practice. Now, I stick to the basics. I stick to science. I stick to evidence. And it is only products that have backed by science and efficacy based on the evidence is what gets recommended in my practice. Now, I'm fortunate that I have a dermal clinician who is a very high-end professional who can also complement what I recommend to my patients. Because as all of us are aware, skin is a complex organ. It is one of the biggest organs in the body. The skin's response to your age, your aging, your life, your lifestyle, your environments, your pollutants, so different, and it varies from person to person. And it has to be analyzed, assessed by an expert who can then prescribe medications or treatments or ongoing methodologies of maintenance based on is the problem, is the texture, is it the color, is it the pigmentation, is it fine lines, is it uneven pigmentation, is it something else that is concerned about? And then add treatments as and when it is required. Now, a simple way of looking at active ingredients for skincare is to focus on the three core vitamins. Number one is vitamin A, also used as retinol or retinoic acid or in some form of that. Vitamin B, also known as niacinamide or any form of that. And vitamin C, which is ascorbic acid, which could be used as a cream, as a serum, multiple formulations. But these are the simple to remember scientifically based ingredients. A, B, and C is easy to say, easy to remember, scientifically valid, evidence-based, and it will show results. Whether the sequence need to be tweaked to morning, twice, evening, once, or vice versa, that could be customized to the patient. And that's what we do with the help of a dermal clinician we have in our practice. Because a lot of my practice is focused around the eyelids and the periorbital area, patients assume that surgery is the only solution necessary. And when patients come and see me, Sometimes you can offer other non-surgical modalities that can actually give them a better approach, a better result than putting them through surgery. Yes, surgery is effective. Surgery is useful. But at the same time, if you have somebody who could be in quote-unquote the gray area, it is always worthwhile trying to go back to basics and look at a non-surgical intervention first before you recommend a surgical intervention. And uh, that's kind of what I do in my practice. So, for example, if there is a uh, person whose primary problem is overall bad skin, I think a skin care regime based on 
regular assessments, low-grade chemical peels, a structured program of advanced cosmeceuticals, which requires prescription-grade skincare, will help improve the skin quality. After that, if there is still residual concerns and we get to a time three to six months down the track to reassess those options and then recommend as required. If it is a pigmentation that could benefit from laser, then they would be recommended to have a consultation with the laser expert. And uh, I usually refer uh, some of the patients on to high-end professionals who are experts in the field in that area, whether it is a need for some radiofrequency or some skin tightening. There are some in-house modalities that we can use and recommend, but in some cases, if, if we don't have it in-house, patients usually get a patient-first approach and get referred on to the best possible practitioner to get an Now, over time, patients such as the ones who've been treated with non-surgical will eventually end up requiring surgery at some point. And then it is an appropriate treatment option because it still puts the patient's interest ahead of everyone's interest. But at the same time, you actually have had a good canvas because the skin has been prepped, skin has been taken care of for the last four, five, six years. And your surgery also has a better outcome and a good result. Because the patient has committed herself or himself to ongoing maintenance, that result following surgery has the ability to be maintained for a bit longer than normal because the pathway of maintenance is well ingrained and very much a part of the routine that the patient is going through. So we find this very beneficial to look for what is the best option for the patient and recommend, sometimes necessary to complement, sometimes necessary to replace, sometimes do it in conjunction. Some of the non-surgical elements and recommended treatments for maintaining skin quality and care of the skin starts off at the surface. So if you look at a device like hydrofacial that can offer some benefits to maintaining skin health, and that's a good method of starting some of the patients with uh, facial, so to speak. And in some cases, you could actually infuse a certain amount of products into that. That can also help if appropriate. Skin needling is another modality that is uh, backed by science, uh, backed by the collagen induction part of the skin needling is very useful for maintaining healthy skin as well as uh, restoring some of the collagen that has been degraded with time. Low-grade chemical peels actually help to rejuvenate the top layer of the skin and incorporating that into skincare practice as appropriate in that particular patient can result in good skin quality, which will enhance your surgical outcomes. Couple that with the home package. Use the LED light, which is both uh, in-clinic treatment as well as a home care package with ongoing skin care. Then you have a very good routine of good quality skin care. And also, if you want to escalate it to the next level, as appropriate in certain patients, using muscle stimulation of the face and radio frequency using uh, devices like M-Face could be beneficial as they tend to increase the muscle tone and muscle bulk in the facial muscles, which is a new modality of treatment because, as we all know, a sarcopenia or muscle aging is an essential part of aging. And by muscle stimulation, you tend to add bulk to the muscle a little bit, a volume of the muscle to the little bit, as well as upgrading some of the growth factors in the muscle. And ultimately to give a little bit of a tone that can improve the visual appearance of the face. So these modalities, as we see, they may not be applicable to everybody, but people who have 
seen collagen induction, increased tone, small amount of volume, increased skin condition, have found that the combination of muscle stim and radio frequency does make them look fresher and they're happy for it. Uh, Prescription-grade uh, skin care is a very effective method of treating certain conditions, and especially when it comes to some amount of pigmentation that patients do get either as a part of the surgical healing process or post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation for whatever reason. Prescription-grade hydroquinone and uh, vitamin A could be prescribed as a ongoing modality to help patients address that concern. And if that happens, we usually recommend a prescription-grade hydroquinone that could be compounded, and then the patient could benefit from using those products as a on a case-by-case basis. There's generally a certain amount of bias towards uh, prescription-grade skin care, and this could be based on patients' previous experiences or information from third-party sources. With advancing science and technology, products are better, the delivery mechanisms are better, the concentrations have been studied, the scientific reasons to back up the right amount of concentration. So if it is prescribed well, the right ingredients, the right percentage and the right formulations, it is more likely to be in your favor as a patient-friendly approach as opposed to causing irritations. Yes, we do acknowledge that intolerance to products is a part of what we do. And if that's the case, the patient is appropriately advised that uh, to contact us as soon as uh, they notice something that is not right and appropriate remedial measures will be taken starting from discontinuing the product immediately and maybe going down to a lower grade concentration or maybe a different product altogether. With advancing technologies, scientific evidence and heavy marketing. There's a lot of natural skincare brands available that uh, promise you a same level of efficacy and results. At this stage, I'm unable to say if that is uh, what I would recommend my patients, but some patients do insist on having a non-chemical brand, which is perfectly fine and reasonable. But we do not know if the efficacy is the same. That is something that we are not sure about. And uh, so maybe with some additional research, ongoing research over time, we might be able to say this with a certain degree of certainty that, okay, fine, this will be good, but this has its limitations. But for the time being, any skincare is better than no skincare for some cases, but the best skincare is a good diet and sun protection because what you put into your stomach ultimately shows up on your skin. Care of skin or skincare doesn't start by putting ingredients on your skin. I think care of skin starts from an understanding of the concept of how do I best protect my skin. So if you go to any Northern European countries where the risk of sun exposure is different to the risk of sun exposure in Australia because of the nature of the uh, climate and the weather, people have lesser of a cumulative sun damage. And also you see this in Asia where people are very aware of the long-term damage of the skin and they do take a lot of proactive care to avoid the sun and protect themselves from the sun by engaging in indoor activities. And uh, all of us have seen people uh, using parasols or umbrellas out on the beach, which is a form of sun protection. And this is a very important concept. I think the sun is by far seen as a skin damager. And what it does is it does three things that signify visible changes to your aging process that is visible, but also noticeable. And the three are the creation of fine lines, the increased inflammation or the redness on the skin, and the third is uneven pigmentation. 
Now, if you look at the Fitzpatrick skin types, one, two, three, four, one, one, two, and three are usually um, Northern European type of skin, and then four, five would be Southern European, South Asian, and uh, African type of skin. Asian and African type of skin. The darker skin Fitzpatrick types have pigmentation issues as they get older because the pigmentation is not a uniform tone, but come up and down. So one part may look light, one part may look dark. And because the skin structure is such that uh, the fine lines and redness that is normally seen in Fitzpatrick type 1, 2, and 3 skin is not necessarily a major problem with the Fitzpatrick 4, 5, and 6 type of skin where pigmentation is more of an issue. So as a plastic surgeon coming across patients with different skin types, it is important to advise them appropriately. But nevertheless, sun damage is still the primary trigger. And coming back to sun protection, this is something that can be started at a very young age that doesn't cost a huge heap of money. It is a habit as basic as brushing teeth, but the dividends will continue to be delivered throughout your life, both in terms of young, youthful skin, skin health, as well as a risk of sun-related skin cancers. Diet is a grossly ignored part of skincare. Now, the important part we need to talk about is the role of sugar, the role of processed food, the role of ultra-processed food, sometimes dairy, in how it damages the skin. There is a concept and a name for a product called advanced glycation end products. It depends on the type of food and the method of cooking used in the, for example, a grill different to a steaming, different to frying, will all create a whole heap of different advanced glycation end products. And what it does is the high sugar content in your body due to your diet, will ultimately damage some parts of your collagen. And we all know that collagen is an essential building block of skin and better quality collagen influences good quality skin, which ultimately influences your appearance as well as your response to surgery, healing, so on and so forth. So if you have a sun-friendly lifestyle and a sugar-friendly lifestyle, and to top it off, if you are a smoker, then you have hit the trifecta because these are the things that really damage the skin. So it is our discussion that I have with all my patients is to look at these risk factors and advise you to say, okay, fine, have you considered sun protection? If so, have you looked at swapping products if you're allergic to one of them? If you're intolerant to one of them, you get redness. There's no reason for you to stop it. You need to swap the products to see which one gives you the best outcome. And also in the context of the diet and smoking, these two are very, very important factors that really age the skin. Plastic surgeons are well aware of the damage of cigarette smoking with regards to wound healing and complications following plastic surgical operations. So we are in tune to look at smoking in every single patient and advising a patient accordingly. So when it comes to aging, smoking plays a major important role, and this is what we advise. As the scientific convener for the Non-Surgical Symposium, which is Australasia's biggest non-surgical event held every year on in June, we as program chairs have a difficult job because we have an obligation to bring about ethical and evidence-based treatment. But at the same time, we also have to understand what are we trying to do? Are we trying to solve problems? Will the education and the knowledge help solve practical problems in a patient-centric way across the multiple aesthetic clinics and plastic surgical and dermatology practices across the country. So with that intent in mind, what we did last year for the first time is to invite expertise onto the Scientific Advisory Committee. And I'm pleased to say that I have a very good dermal 
clinician, James Vivian, who's based in Melbourne, to come and give us some advice on aspects of skincare that would normally be not ignored, but would be not front and centre. Because James, along with uh, Dr. Ryan De Cruz, who's a dermatologist in Melbourne, came up with uh, what I call as a brain's trust for that uh, skincare program and uh, created something of great value to the practitioners who could then take it back and go and implement in the clinic on the day after the conference. The net beneficiary is the patient because now your practitioner is equipped with processes, protocols, knowledge, as well as mixing and matching the products to give you a better outcome. Now, we are living in this collaborative ecosystem of the non-surgical aesthetics, where we look after our industry partners as essential partners in the progress in a patient-centric uh, world, because the R&D provided by these big corporations is essential to progress the quality of clinical care and push medicine from what is today's medicine, tomorrow's medicine. So big companies like SkinCeuticals and uh, Synergy Skin do commit a lot of time and research to products to improve skin and overall lives of patients. I think the concept of skin care has to be looked at through the prism of skin health. Now, if you go back 50 years ago, the technology behind skincare products was not that great. So all you could do is have product A, B, and if you increase your concentration, you ended up with an intolerance or a rash or a allergic response. But thanks to R&D, and this is where skincare R&D is very important, uh, you not only find these ongoing scientific research that improves the product systems, but also an understanding of the skin, the size of the molecules delivered, the encapsulation methodology, and the depth of penetration now allows you to provide the skin with nutrition and nourishment of active ingredients, what the skin really needs to maintain its health by a topical application. So in other words, you can actually feed your skin from two ends, one from the surface by topical application of good high-end medical-grade skin products, as well as a diet that is nutritious and rich in key nutritious aspects that are essential for good skin health. Therefore, for argument's sake, we mentioned about the vitamins A, B, and C before. You can feed the skin through high diet, rich in vitamin A, vitamin B, and vitamin C. At the same time, you could complement your skin with high-end products with vitamin rich A, vitamin B, and vitamin C. And together with protection of sun, regular skin assessment, escalation to other skin-based treatments as are age-appropriate, you now have a recipe that you can help maintain the skin. Now, in that context, even when we see patients, or when I see patients who've got underlying medical conditions such as acne, rosacea, sometimes eczema, it all comes back to basic skin health and a skin problem. So yes, I'm not a dermatologist, but I have enough dermatology colleagues who are experts in this field will see the patient for active management of that skin pathology, be it rosacea, eczema, or in something similar. But once the active phase of treatment is over, your ability to maintain your skin health is also an essential part of your ongoing skin health program. Say, for example, the best analogy I can give you is something like a back injury. So for example, if you think surgery is the treatment necessary for a back injury, post-surgery, exercise, lifestyle modification, rehabilitation, weight loss will help you maintain the benefits of your back surgery. And 
skin conditions and skin pathology or pathology for any other body part is no different. You need to have an active form of treatment followed by an active form of maintenance of the benefits. And this is where skin care and good high-end skin care can help you maintain the skin quality and the skin nutrition and the skin health for a better outcome. As plastic surgeons, we not only operate on the face, we operate on the body with multiple body contouring procedures, breast contouring procedures. But the skin of the face, yes, it is exposed to sun a bit more than the body, but the skin is the skin everywhere. And skin health issues happening in the uh, parts of the body needs to be treated with the same level of intensity as you treat skin on the face. Eczema, pigmentation, irritation due to a plastic surgical problem. Say, for example, if you have a ongoing rash in people who got loose and excessive abdominal skin, and if you perform a plastic surgical procedure to fix that loose skin, if you do that before you address the ongoing skin health, then you are bound to have problems with wound healing because the skin is not healthy enough. So it is kind of imperative to ensure that your skin quality does not jeopardize your wound healing. And hence, this focus and the knowledge of the skin is very important. No matter if you do a breast or a body contouring procedure, awareness of skin, skin health, and methods to manage them are very important and essential for every plastic surgeon and also an aesthetic practitioner. When patients come and see me for cosmetic surgery, in the lead up to the consultation, they would have had plenty of information uh, given to them, sometimes unsolicited, sometimes solicited, multiple channels of social media that talks about product A, product B, your dermal therapist, your beauty therapist, your cousin, everyone gives you information of the skin. When you come into my office, we continue that conversation of skincare in the context of the cosmetic surgery procedure you are considering. Now, my job is to make it simpler yet scientific so that you're informed of actually what is happening in your skin or underneath your skin and how each intervention is going to impact that in the short term, medium term and long term. So at the end of the consultation and the process of consultative appointments you have in the lead up to the surgery, we like to educate you about skin care so that you're aware of what can be done, what should be done, and what must be done to maintain your results. And this, to me, is the cornerstone of a good plastic surgical operation where skin care in a collaborative, complementary way enhances the results both way to the satisfaction of the patient. And that's kind of what has been the practice of me as a patient-first, patient-centric plastic surgical practice. That's an end of this podcast on the care of skin and hope you enjoyed it. The next episode is on myths and facts on plastic surgery on my patient first podcast and I look forward to seeing you there. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Patient First. I hope you found this podcast useful. Remember, I'm always listening and if you have any questions you would like me to answer on the show or upcoming episodes, please connect with me via my clinic website. Thank you.